0: You're listening to the Central Sanford podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. And all the time, and don't you love the story of Daniel and the Lion's Den? And if you do, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And uh, thank you for being here. Those of you watching online, we're so glad to have you join us uh, this morning as we worship God together. And uh, hopefully you'll have an opportunity uh, at the end of the service to make a decision. As, uh, as uh, Pastor Mike gave you the phone number, we'll be talking about it again. And if you're a first-time guest, we would love for you to take some time to do that as well. Well, turn uh, to Daniel chapter 6 and let's stand as we read God's Word in Daniel chapter 6 and verse uh, number 1. Let's all read together. It pleased Darius to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other presidents and satraps because of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom Then the presidents and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, Oh, King Darius, live forever. Live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Now, verse number ten, I think, is the key verse here. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You may be seated. The question before us today and next week as well is this. How do we as Christians, how do we as Christians live in a world that is growing in hostility towards Christianity? We live in a world that is increasingly more unsympathetic and even hateful towards people of faith. America is no longer a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation. And so one of the new books that has come out is written by Dr. Albert Moeller, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he wrote a book called The Gathering Storm, in which he borrows that from Winston Churchill's book, The Gathering Storm. And he says that most Christians have one of two responses when it comes to uh, the growing uh, hostility towards Christianity. This is how most Christians respond. He says that, one, we can respond in utter despair, retreating together in the corners of coffee shops with a false sense of nostalgia that longs for the past, usually idealized. Or... We might be tempted to look for a rescue in political victory, believing that a retreat of secular thinking only, is only one election away. Now, here's what Moeller says. Christians must not retreat nor find our salvation in any false hope. We must, with every fiber of our God-given strength, with full dependence upon the holy power of the Holy Spirit, with every ounce of conviction, we can muster through prayer with unwavering courage, protest this secular moment. Now, the reason that I share that with you is because I believe that that is where we find Daniel. Daniel is a man with every fiber of his God-given strength, with full dependence, in full conviction, in prayer, with unwavering courage, protested the secular moment that happened in the kingdom of Babylon. Now, you may not be familiar with the story of Daniel, so let me give you a quick version of that. Daniel, was a prisoner of war taken from Judah as a middle schooler. He no doubt probably had his family murdered in front of him and was carted off to Babylon to be a part of a special program for gifted and talented young men. While in this program, if you remember the story, he maintained his integrity and stood by his convictions by not defiling himself in eating the king's meat. God blessed Daniel, and Daniel became a prophet of God, and he had the ability to interpret dreams in which that ability alone, plus his wisdom and the Spirit of God that rested upon him, propelled him into leadership into the Babylonian government. He, as a matter of fact, outlived multiple leaders and even multiple kingdoms. He outlived the kingdom of the Babylonians, both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, and now is a part of the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, Uh, led by a guy named Darius. And so in chapter 6, we see that Daniel, even in his old age, maintains his integrity and stands by his convictions. Regardless of the changing of the government, regardless of who was in the uh, the palace at that time, he continued to pray regardless of the consequences. And so this morning, here's what we're going to learn this week and next week. That Daniel's discipline of prayer gave him the spiritual toughness to defy the order of the king and to trust in the deliverance of the Lord. So that's what we're going to look at these next two weeks. Daniel's discipline of prayer gave him the spiritual toughness to defy the order of the king and trust in the deliverance of the Lord. First point is this, Daniel's discipline of prayer. In verses 1 and 2, we see that Darius, now there's some discussion on who Darius is. Some think that this is Cyrus King Cyrus, there's a lot of debate on who Darius the Mede was. Uh, This is uh, around the same period prior to Esther. So you have Esther as coming after this. This is before Esther. But nevertheless, Darius is reorganizing the kingdom of Babylon under the uh, auspices of the order of the Medes and the Persians. And he is setting up this kingdom with 120 satraps. Now, what is a satrap? Well, a satrap, I'm sure that's a word you're probably never going to use this week, was a tax collector. They were responsible for overseeing the tax collection in their particular province, and they were to make sure that that money was brought to the palace. And so over these 120 satraps, there were three, what the Bible says, our version says, presidents. They were high officials that oversaw the 120, and of those, Daniel was one. He was... Probably the chief of all of them is what the Bible says. And the reason that these 120 120 satraps had these presidents, these high officials over them is because tax collection in that day was rife with corruption. And so the reason the Bible says here that three presidents is so that the king would suffer no loss. Now, we see that Daniel became distinguished above all of them. Daniel was the best of the best. The Bible says that he had an excellent spirit. It was King Nebuchadnezzar that actually said that he had upon him the spirit of the gods. And that was before Nebuchadnezzar had a real encounter with the true and living God. But he was a, a man of great integrity and great character. And so the king is going to make Daniel the prime minister over the entire kingdom. Now, think about this. He goes from a POW to a PM to a prime minister. Why? Because he's a man of great work ethic, a great attitude, someone that everyone respected. Now, I want you to think about this. Daniel was a prophet of God. He, he could have been a full-time prophet. He could have just been someone who, like Isaiah or Jeremiah, preached the Word of God and taught the Word of God. But here we see this man of God, this prophet of God, had a day job. And this day job was working and serving in the kingdom of Babylon. See, Daniel was deeply engaged in the kingdom of Babylon And he was obedient to the command that Jeremiah gives in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Here's what the verse says. Jeremiah says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, and in its welfare you find your welfare. See, think about this. You do not have to be in full-time ministry to be in ministry. Did you know that? You don't have to be on staff. You don't have to be paid. You can just be in ministry wherever God has you. We need in our day Christian doctors. We need Christian attorneys. We need Christian teachers. We need Christian restaurant owners and factory workers and blue-collar and white-collar Christian workers. See, ministry and missions are not just for the professionals. So Daniel here cared for his city. Daniel cared for the nation. He cared for the king. Even though he was an exile in a foreign land, he learned how to live and to make a difference there. See, Daniel was in Babylon, but he was not a Babylonian. He did not assimilate, but he also did not isolate and separate. He worked for the welfare of Babylon. He worked for the safety and the advancement of the city. And that's what we should be. As Christians, as believers, we should just not sit in our own little circles, only with Christians like us, for us, who look like us, act like us, and talk like us. We should be people that are not of the city, but are in the city making a difference for the city. That's what God has called us to do. What good is it to have salt if it only stays in the salt shaker, right? And so God has called us. And so Daniel here is making a difference. He is being used. And so because of this, the king is going to promote Daniel above all the others. And his enemies, these other people, were getting jealous. They were afraid of losing power. So they are trying to con- concoct some sort of scheme to get rid of Daniel. And in their minds, they thought, well, Daniel must be as corrupt and he must be as negligent as we are. So they did a review of Daniel's life. They went on uh, on the deep web and <laughs> they found that there was nothing in Daniel's life. They, that, As much as they thought Daniel was like them... Uh, He was actually not like them at all. There was no hint of hypocrisy. There was no negligence. There was no stain on his record. The man was 70, maybe 80 plus years old, and there was no skeletons in his closet. The Bible says that he was a faithful man. He was disciplined. And because of that, he was consistent, and he was faithful, a man full of integrity. And people resented that. As a matter of fact, the more they saw how different he was, the angrier they got. And so they wanted to get rid of Daniel. See, I want you to understand that there is something and there should be something about Christians that's always going to be strange to this world. The world cannot and will not understand Christians. And you and I should not get upset when they don't understand us. You and I should not be uh, distraught when people reject us because we are Christians. And listen, we should never seek to be socially relevant. We're not always going to be socially relevant because this world is not our home. And so in verse number five, they couldn't get anything on Daniel and the law. But he hasn't broken the law, so what they have to do is they now have to concoct a law. But they have to come up with a law that would come in conflict with the law of Daniel, the law of God. So they seek here a political solution to get rid of what they perceive to be a spiritual problem. See, Daniel was not a closet believer. Daniel made no apologies. He had a higher king, a higher allegiance to a higher kingdom. And, and so what they try to do is they try to use God's law against him in the court of law. See, Daniel had a testimony of a man being... Disciplined in prayer. Every day, three times a day, Daniel opened the windows of his home, got on his knees, bowed towards Jerusalem, and prayed. Everyone knew that he prayed. Everyone saw that he prayed. Daniel did not have a secret prayer life. People knew that Daniel's life was built on prayer. He consulted with God in all things and sought the action of God before he acted himself. Oh, that God would put that in all of our hearts. And this is how Daniel could survive. You think, how could Daniel make such a difference in the city? How can he rise to such prominence and not lose his integrity? How could he be a a person that everyone wanted to see, or that the king wanted to advance to be the prime minister, and, and yet still hold his integrity with God? How could he not only survive, but thrive in the city of Babylon? Answer is that every day he got on his knees and focused on his God. Because he understood that the world and everything in it around him was not all that there was. If you are a follower of the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, and even the prequel, The Hobbit, you might be familiar with the writings of J.R.R. Tolkien. And Tolkien, at the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, wrote actually other, other materials about the Hobbits. And, and one of the things that we find, it's, not, it's seen in the movie, but not completely seen in the movie, is that after the four Hobbits uh, le- came back from their great adventure... Uh, they, they, on this adventure, on this quest, confronted the worst fears. For, for a hobbit, it was completely unthinkable to do what they had done. They had went to a, a place far away from them, a, a far different where They had met people that were completely unlike them. And, and yet, they survived that, and they thrived, and they actually triumphed and won the day. And, and because of this, they were, they were transformed. And as they go back to the Shire, life in the Shire was, was really not the same. They, they were not the same person. The things that used to upset them, that upset other hobbits in the shire, did not upset them anymore. And so the other hobbits would say, what's wrong with you? That They didn't understand them. Yes, you're great leaders, but we don't understand why you don't get upset with the things we get upset with. And the reason why is, is this, is because the roots of their souls were no longer in the shire, but they were somewhere else. The shire was no longer their home. Their true country was somewhere beyond the sea. See, Daniel was effective in the city of Babylon because three times a day his heart was focused on the city of God. See, if all your life is, is what you see. If all you have is this world. If that's it. If it's your money. If it's your beauty. If it's your friends, your family, your career, or your life. If that's all that you have. If it's ever threatened, if it's ever lost, then your life is over. But when you have a relationship with Christ and you have had a victory and, and you know that there is something far beyond what you can see and savor and smell here, but you know that there's a better world, that only, not only allows you to survive this world, but to even thrive in this world. To be both effective in this world, but also be different to the world. And if that's the case, you're going to be strange. You're going to be weird. Because you're not going to get as upset as other people get as upset about the things. Because we realize that this world is not all there is. This is Daniel, a man disciplined in prayer. And if you, like me, maybe even these past few months, have gotten so upset and so concerned and so consumed with the things of this world. It may be because we're not focusing our heart's affections towards God in the discipline of prayer. See, the discipline of prayer reminds you of your true country, that you are not of this world. But we see not only Daniel's discipline in prayer, but I want you to see his defiance in prayer. Verses 6 through 9, these tax collectors, these satraps, devise this group plan to get rid of Daniel. And they do so by lying and flattering the king. Now, how do we know that they were lying? Because they all came to the king and said, hey... King Darius live forever. Everybody and their brother has decided that for 30 days, we're only going to pray and worship, essentially, you. Now, we know that's not true because Daniel didn't agree to that plan. But yet, it seemed to strike the king's fancy, and so... The king signs the decree that no one can pray or make intercession to any man or God for the next 30 days except to King Darius. And if they did so, they would be thrown into the lion's den. And the Bible says very clearly that the law of the Medes and the Persians could not be revoked. Now, it was irrevocable. You couldn't change it. Once it was in law, it couldn't be changed. So let it be written. So let it be done. It was a badge of honor for the Medes and the Persians. Now, to the Babylonians who were prior to the Medes and Persians, the king was final. So the king can make one decision today and in the afternoon change it. But to the Persians, the law was final. To the Babylonians, the king was final. To the Persians, the law was final. And so here the king decided that it would be okay to be God for 30 days. So in that moment, you think about this, we read this and we've heard this story and see sometimes familiarity breeds contempt to a story, so don't lose what God is trying to teach in the midst of this. But you think about this, Daniel in this moment is in a a position where he has to choose between the law of God and the law of the government. Daniel here was on the very brink of being promoted to being prime minister of the country. And so in this moment, he could have just rationalized and compromised. He could have said, you know, it's just 30 days I can have secret prayer. No one will ever know. I can pray in my mind. I I don't have to do anything different. No one will care that I don't pray because nobody else is praying around here. And if I'm dead, if I die by death of a lion's mouth, I can't be of any influence in the government. And so he could have rationalized this. And so the question is, in this moment, and, and, and as we read this, we read this and we don't really think about it, but this was a huge moment. The question is, what would Daniel do? It's been said that character is not made in a moment of adversity, but character is revealed in the moment of adversity. So yes, we say, well, in this midst of this COVID-19 crisis and the cultural pandemic of our day, uh, character is, is being made. Well, to a degree, yes, but it's really being revealed. You want to see where America is today? Through the midst of adversity, we're seeing its character revealed. So where is character in the life of Daniel? Verse number 10, we see it. Daniel knew. He knew the law had been written. He knew that it was irrevocable. He knew that regardless of how much Darius loved him, he couldn't change it. But what did he do? He prayed. His prayer was not a prideful display, but a public testimony, a public statement about the glory of God over the glory of the kings and kingdoms of this world. He did not get his marching orders from the king, from the culture, or from social media. Daniel's defiance was his prayer, because to Daniel, there was no substitute in his life for prayer. He was consistent with God. He was a man that was same in public and private, and he knew that his consistency with God would come at a cost. And yet, he was willing to pay the price. Think about this. He was willing to be thrown in the lion's den before he would stop praying. This man valued prayer more than he valued his life. He got on his knees, opened the window, and prayed to his God. And the Bible says, as he had done previously. It wasn't that in this moment he was going to be defiant and open the windows and just show some display of something he had never done before. No, he was consistent he didn't take a month off. And what is this? This is civil disobedience. The question that we must ask ourselves in the midst of the hostility of our day is it should Christians ever go against the government? Well, let me give you a rule of thumb here. As Christians, we must submit to the governing authority unless that authority forbids what God commands or commands what God forbids. That's what we're called to do. Now, I'm going to give you an example that's going to make some of you upset. But I'm going to give you one anyway. Is wearing a mask, don't say anything out loud, is wearing a mask wrong? Well, wearing a, I was told that I look better with a mask on. Is wearing a mask wrong? No. If the government mandates it, if the local government mandates it, it's not wrong. It does not go against God's commands. There's no scripture that says, thou shalt not wear a mask, thus says the Lord. There's nothing that it does that causes me to go against something God forbids. Now, some of you said at first service, they said, well, what if I think bad thoughts about the people making me wear a mask? Well, still, it's not going against God's command. Now, think about this. We wear seatbelts, correct? We, for the most part, drive within the speed limit, right? This should not be a political issue. If wearing a mask is mandated by the state or by the local government, and it has the remote possibility of saving someone's life, even though I can't stand to wear a mask, I will do it. Why, you say? Is it because I want to be politically correct? No, it's because I want to be biblically correct. That should have been an amen point right there. Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That's not just White House. That's State House. That's Courthouse. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those who have been instituted by God. Did Paul write this to the Romans when there was a Christian in the White House? No. The the ruler was a nut named Nero, a crazy man. He says, but therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. You say, well, I don't like Paul. I'm a Jesus person. Matthew chapter 22, verse 21. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. To me, this is Caesar's. So I'll wear it, even though I don't want to, because I don't like to breathe in them. But I will do it because if it can save someone's life, it's worth it. Now, I said some of you would be upset. We've had people write us letters and emails because they're upset. But we're going to follow as long as it doesn't forbid what God commands or commands what God forbids, we're going to follow. But there are times that believers must go against the government. As Peter and John said, we will obey God rather than man. Christians have a responsibility to stand against and not comply with laws that are unjust or that go against the word of God. We must in those moments speak out and stand up against it. Now that does not mean that we rage or go into violence. It does mean that if there are times that we may disobey the law or we may work hard to change the law. Now let me just give you an example. Some people say, you know what? I'm not going to pay taxes anymore because there are some things that my tax money goes to that I am morally against. Well, you try that for a while and see how that works. I don't like to pay. I know that there are some things, and I think in the near future there's going to be more things that my tax dollars are going to go to that I am definitely against. But my job is to work to change that. Why? Because America is different than Daniel's day. Daniel's day was in one autocratic leader named Darius. In our day, we are a democratic republic that is by the people, for the people, because of we the people. And so if you don't like something, you have a way to deal with that. It's called voting. Wow. Either you guys are so odd, or you don't get it. We, in America, are actually the government by the people, for the people, in a democratic republic. And therefore, we should not be the enemy of the state, but an influencer. And therefore, as Christians, we should not be involved in rioting and looting. But we can, in certain moments, stand up. Martin Luther King said that civil disobedience is not lawlessness, but instead a higher form of lawfulness, designed to bring positive man-made law into conformity into higher law, divine law. And so, as Christians, how do we stand against the onslaught of our day? Well, one is we pray. Prayer is primary. But there are times that we need to do more than pray. Now, I want to just share with you some inconsistencies that I've even seen in my own heart. I'm against abortion. Completely against it. I think it's evil. It's wrong. Did you know that 22 million people around the world have been aborted this year? And it's not even when is it? It's July. Think about that. Now, some of you in this room, maybe you have had an abortion. And you think, well, here we go again. We hear the church. just All they do is just beat people up. No, there's room at the cross. We're all sinners. Christ can forgive you. But what does the church typically do when it comes to abortion? Well, we start getting petitions out and telling people who to vote for. You need to vote for this person because they're this, and they're, they stand against abortion, and we advocate, and some of the people even hold signs, and they'll raise money, and they'll do whatever we can to stop abortion. And that's great, and I don't have anything against that. But when it comes to other sins or other forms of injustice, like racism, we say, well, just pray about it, and it'll go away. Or just share the gospel and it'll stop it. Now there's nothing wrong with that. We should pray against racism and we should share the gospel with other people so that God would deal with the racism of their heart but also deal with the racism of our heart. But I want you to understand that there are times that it requires more than prayer. Just think about what would have happened during the days of England when William Wilberforce tried to stand against the slavery of the British Empire. If all he said I was going to do, I'm just going to pray. No, William Wilberforce prayed, and he moved, and he went to action. We cannot just be so passive and to think that there are not times in our lives that we should not stand against certain things. Just think, if there were others that said of Nazi Germany, well, we'll just pray against Hitler, and he'll go away. No, there are moments in which we must stand up against evil when we see it. And that's what Daniel does. Daniel finds his strength to be defiant in his prayer life. Think about this. The source of Daniel's strength is that three times a day he got on his knees and stood before his God. Daniel was drinking from a well that was far deeper than many of us drink from. Not a well of self-centered personal ambition. He was a man who met with God as often as he ate. And now what if we thought about this? What if prayer was God's means of strengthening our spirit to avoid temptation and to be free from the world's power over us? What if we saw it the same way? See, effective prayer begins... When we perceive the gap between the situation, where the situation is, and where God wants it to be. See, when Jesus taught, and you leave that up here. When Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. When we pray, your kingdom come. As I pray, I think it's my daily prayer, your kingdom come. I see the gap between where the world is now and where God wants it to be. If you've ever been to London and if you've gone on the underground, you will hear that voice constantly say, mind the gap. The question is, where is the gap? Where is the gap between where God wants things to be and where things are? How would we know what that gap is? The only way we know the gap between where things are and where God wants them to be is found in the word of God. And as we get into the word of God and and we get into the promises of God and we see the desires of God and we lay hold onto those promises of God, we see the gaps. The question we need to ask ourselves is, where are the gaps in our church? Where are the gaps in our families? Where are the gaps in our nation and our lives and in the world and in our city? Here's what I know from God's Word. God wants the gospel to be made known everywhere. God wants my life and your life to reflect the glory and goodness of his grace. God wants our church to be active in sharing the gospel and reflecting the gospel everywhere we go. God wants racial unity and he wants injustice to end. God wants families to flourish and parents to be the chief disciple makers of their children. Where do you see the gaps in your life? See, wherever you see the gaps are between the ideal and the real, where God wants them to be and where they are, is where we stand in that gap in the power of prayer and we say, God close the gap. That's what our job is. Is that we say, God close the gap. We see this world and we see how crazy how it seems like this this the, every day we hear nothing but bad news. And we hear bad news. Why? Because we live in a broken world. But what our job is as believers is to stand in that gap and say, God, your kingdom come. See, Daniel defied the situation through prayer. And he claimed the promises of God to change the situation. And here's what we know is that Daniel defied the king's order with no guarantee that the lions would have lockjaw. Daniel stood up in, while he kne- kneeled in prayer without any guarantee of his deliverance. But what he did was this, he prayed, he did what he could, and he trusted God with the outcome. And what do you and I do? Here's what you and I do. We pray. When's the last time that we actually prayed enough for, because we believe it actually works? We pray, we take our stand, and we trust in our God for the outcome. And we be like Esther. If I perish, I perish. Now the question is, where do you find the strength to do that? Where do I find the strength? Because so many sermons and so much of our familiarity with the stories that so many preachers at the end say, "Be Daniel, be Daniel, be brave, get on your knees, stand up, get thrown in the lion's den. Where do you find the strength to do that? I mean isn't it I mean is this just an empty room today? Is anyone tired of the things of this world? Are you online? Are you tired of how the things are? I'm tired of it. There are days that I'm just ready to... I say, God, take me home. Anybody? Is it just me? Maybe I need to check in somewhere. I don't know. Where do you find the strength? Do I find it by looking at all the heroes of the Bible and saying, "I got to be like them? Where do I find it? You don't find the strength to pray like Daniel or to defy like Daniel... In Daniel. But you find the strength in the one that Daniel points to. Because Daniel points us to another Daniel, a true and better Daniel, who was a real man of prayer. Who spent hours in prayer. As a matter of fact, there were people looking for him. And, and where were you at? I was praying. He was a man that went against the cultural systems of his day. And because of that, the enemies. His enemies hated him. And yet no one could accuse him of any kind of sin. No one could find any dirt against him. Not even Don Lemon could find any dirt against him. He was sinless and completely innocent. And he truly was from another world. He was different. But yet he was effective. And like Daniel, he was condemned to die. But unlike Daniel, he did die and his name is Jesus. See, Jesus died on the cross so that you and I can be right with God. Jesus died so that you and I can boldly come into his throne of grace and find help and strength in time of need. Jesus on the cross was denied deliverance on the cross so that I can be be delivered from my sins. And because he died, three days later he rose from the dead, which guarantees that God has been satisfied with the sacrifice that he made. Do you know what the the name Daniel means? It means God is my judge. God is my judge. We worry about everybody judging us, thinking about us. Here's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, I've been forgiven. That Jesus was judged for me on that cross. And because Jesus was judged for me, I am in no fear of judgment. You remember what Jesus says, don't fear the one who can kill your body. but he says, fear the one who can take both body and soul and put them into hell. If the one who has the power to put my body and soul into hell has said, forgiven, there is no now condemnation, there is no need to fear, then what do I care what men do to me? If God is for me, Who cares who's against me? Because surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And so I can press forward in prayer. I can persist in a hostile world. And I can praise God in a broken world. Because I know that this world is not all there is. So my question is this. Do you have that hope? Do you know this Jesus? Have you given your life to him? If you have not, today is the day of salvation. Today is that day. You can trust Him. He did everything necessary for you to be right with God. He did everything necessary so that you can be right with God and go to heaven. He has triumphed over all your enemies. Do you understand that there is nothing in this world that's bigger than God? No political election. no person, no disease that's bigger than God. Trust Him. He is overcome. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in ways that I cannot. God, would you call the dead to life and the blind to see and the hearts of stone to hearts of flesh and those that are watching online and those that may be listening on the radio, God, would you in this holy moment give, give them the, the needs of their heart, God, if they need to repent of their sins, if they need to put their faith and trust in you, Lord, if they need in this moment to be saved, God, whoever is here, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just as last week, someone said, I trusted Jesus as my Savior, when Pastor Mike spoke, God, I pray this moment there would send me somebody that would turn and trust their life to you, God, that they would ask you to forgive them of their sins and save them. But Father, give us the strength of the church to not be deceived by the things of this world, to not be so caught up to think that this world is all there is. But, Lord, help us to find strength in Christ, to pray, to be disciplined in prayer, and to defy... The status quo of this world through prayer. God, I ask for revival. Send it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made a decision this morning, if you're watching online or listening on the radio, you can text into this number 407 338 4024. 338 4024. You can say, I want to take my next step. I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. Or I want to be baptized. Next Sunday we're doing baptisms. Or I want to be a part of a small group. Or whatever God has called in your life. Or I just need prayer. Text into that number. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.